Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lou Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, US President Donald Trump impeachment trial gets underway. And Egypt, Ethiopia and Sudan reach a deal on construction of Nile Dam. In economics news, South African Reserve Bank cuts interest rates by 25 basis points. And in sports news, the ICC Under-19 Cricket World Cup kicks off today in South Africa. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Lusitu's Prime Minister Tom Tabane has succumbed to political pressure to retire from his position. Eight-year-old Tabane is accused of shielding his wife who faces a murder charge over the Prime Minister's first wife, Dipulelo Tabane, in 2017. The First Lady, Maesaya Tabane, is still at large a warrant of arrest has been issued against her. South Africa's Special Envoy, former Cabinet Minister Jeff Khadebe and Deputy Intelligence Minister Zizi Kotwa have met with the Prime Minister and is said to have indicated his intention to step down. Khadebe says they support the coalition government as it works out all the legal processes to follow. As the President has indicated, we will support all the measures and decisions that the Right Honourable Prime Minister and the people of Lesotho are making and South Africa is ever ready to put its shoulder to the wheel because that's what a good neighbour does. Members of the U.S. Senate, who have taken their oaths as jurors in the impeachment trial against President Donald Trump, have been urged to ensure justice is done. The trial has formally begun with the charges being read out and the presiding judge has been sworn in. Trump is accused of violating the Constitution by pressing Ukraine to investigate his political rival Joe Biden. He has denied abusing his power and obstructing Congress. The Senate minority leader and lead prosecutor in the trial, Chuck Schumer, has told the jurors they must take their responsibility seriously and uphold the law. Each of us, every one of us, Democrat and Republican, will face a choice about whether to begin this trial in the search of truth or in service of the President's desire to cover it up. Now that every senator has sworn a solemn oath before God and the American people to do impartial justice, let every senator reflect on that choice. 
have killed six people, injured five and kidnapped others in Nigeria's northern Kaduna state. Authorities say it's unclear how many children were taken. Attackers targeted several vehicles along the main road between Kaduna and Zaria, shooting before abducting people. This is the latest in a string of attacks in Kaduna. The particular road is a notorious hotspot for criminals seeking travelers to kidnap for ransom. A new UN report says millions of children in Syria are continuing to face desperate conditions nearly nine years after the war began. The UN Commission of Inquiry into Syria says some children are being publicly put to death. Palio Pinheiro is the chairperson of the inquiry. Boys as young as six have been recruited to participate in hostilities by warring parties, while rape and sexual violence have been used against girls and boys to punish, humiliate and steal fear. In detention, children have been used to extract confession from their parents, subjected to torture and ill treatment. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. I am an African. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa where great minds connect an explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the african continent and around the world masterclass comes to you every fridays eight o'clock to nine o'clock central african time channel africa bringing you the african perspective The U.S. Senate is days away from starting a trial that will determine whether President Donald Trump should stay in office. Removal by the Republican-controlled Senate is only a remote possibility, but there are enough wildcards in the Ukraine saga to mean nothing is certain. Kate Fisher is on Capitol Hill taking a look at what happens next. Well, all the action is due to kick off on Tuesday when all 100 senators will leave their offices and file along these corridors to the Senate chamber. Now, they won't be allowed to take in their mobile phones and they won't be able to speak to each other in there. They're expected to stay quiet throughout proceedings. All that pre-trial business has been done and dusted now. Chief Justice John Roberts has been sworn in to preside over this trial and each of those 100 senators will act as jurors and they've all sworn an oath to impartial justice. They're weighing two articles of impeachment, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. They centre on the allegation that President Trump withheld military aid and a White House meeting to pressure Ukraine into investigating his political rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. 
The trial will be the president's legal team's first official attempt to defend him against those charges. The White House has derided this impeachment as politically motivated and based on second-hand information and flimsy evidence. And so far, Republicans have stuck firmly behind President Trump, rejecting the evidence against him, suggesting he could easily be acquitted. Several unknowns still exist. Will they call witnesses? That's something that the Democrats are pushing for, but the Republicans are resisting. How long will all of this take? Republicans want a short trial, say two weeks or so. Democrats want much longer, so they've got chance to call witnesses. And then you've got the final vote. They'll need two-thirds majority, that's 67 votes, assuming everyone's in the chamber, on either article of impeachment to convict the president and remove him from office. It's more likely, of course, he'll be acquitted, and that would make him the first US president to be impeached and then run for a second term in office. Kate Fisher, SABC News, Washington. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. The U.S. and China have signed an agreement aimed at easing a trade war that has rattled markets and weighed on the global economy. The U.S. President Donald Trump said the pact would be transformative for the U.S. economy. So Thursday was the beginning of the end of President Trump's trade war. The BBC's Samira Hussein reports on how it has affected U.S. companies. Relief can't come soon enough for workers at this sawmill in Hopwood, Pennsylvania. When China slapped tariffs on U.S. wood, retaliation against American tariffs on Chinese goods, business at this sawmill alone dropped 40 percent. The questions every day is, so what's really going to happen? What's next? Are we going to make it? As plant manager at this sawmill, Mark Tringis sees the direct impact of the trade war. We've downsized our sawmill. We've reduced our workforce in probably the neighborhood of 10 to 15 people. That's a lot of people for a small operation. That's, that's a lot of people for this community. What has been the biggest struggle for you? The biggest struggle is keeping the morale up of the employees. We're here. We're here for the long run. but. We need to get our exporting back. 
Are you worried? Concerned. What has you the most concerned? 66 employees here. This is their lives, this is our lives. Um, we come to work every day to make a great product. And if we can't sell our product, we won't be able to make our product. Northwest Hardwoods, which operates this mill, is not alone. The entire American timber industry is suffering. The U.S. hardwoods industry has been significantly impacted by a trade dispute between the U.S. and China. That's Northwest Hardwoods CEO Nathan Jepson. Over the course of the last 18 months, we've seen exports to China drop by half. We've seen a significant erosion in price as a result of having just too much lumber and not enough demand. And ultimately, uh, the industry has seen uh, revenues drop by as much as 30%, resulting in the need to cut back on production, cut shifts, close facilities, and lay off uh, thousands of workers across the industry. Wow, what a crowd. Look at that. Thank you. It wasn't meant to be like this. U.S. President Donald Trump's pitch to the working men and women of states like Pennsylvania was that if he imposed tariffs on imports from China, their jobs would be protected. They and their employers would thrive. So I just announced it will increase tariffs on China. And we won't back down until China stops cheating our workers and stealing our jobs. And that's what's going to happen. Otherwise, we don't have to do business with them. We don't have to do business. We can make the product right here if we have to, like we used to. Remember? Like we used to. Despite two years of tit-for-tat tariffs, the U.S. economy keeps growing. The unemployment rate is at record lows, and financial markets have been hitting all-time highs. But the trade war has damaged many industries, particularly in manufacturing and agriculture where so many of Mr. Trump's supporters were. Finally, President Trump and President Xi have agreed to at least a truce, which should be good news for Northwest Hardwoods and thousands of other companies. But workers and executives across America may be left wondering if the end of the trade war was worth the pain of fighting it in the first place. That report by the BBC's Samira Hussein. Two decades in power so far with no need to step down until 2024 is not yet enough time at the top for President Vladimir Putin, it would appear. He surprised his own cabinet along with the rest of the world as he announced sweeping constitutional changes which many suspect are designed to extend his grip on power. The BBC's Moscow correspondent Steve Rosenberg looks at how the shock announcement has been greeted by Russian voters. As Moscow woke up this morning, it didn't feel as if much had changed in Russia. The number 38 tram was trundling along as normal, transporting bleary-eyed commuters. The street cleaners were out in force, clearing the slushy pavements. It was only when I went up to my local newspaper kiosk, bought some papers and looked at the headlines that I was reminded of the drama which unfolded yesterday in Moscow. January Revolution, one paper here is calling it. And yes, what happened did feel revolutionary, something of a political earthquake. Without any warning, the Russian government had resigned en masse and the Russian president had proposed sweeping constitutional changes. 
So what exactly is going on? Well, this is about Vladimir Putin and power. In four years' time, when his current term ends, he will be constitutionally obliged to leave the presidency. The changes he's proposing appear to give him options for remaining in power after 2024, if not as president, then in a different role, perhaps as head of the Russian State Council or the National Security Council or as prime minister or maybe as leader of the ruling party. No one's quite sure which scenario will be selected. Russian MP Vyacheslav Nikonov believes that even without an official position or title, Putin will remain influential. One way or another, Putin will be an important figure. Even if he'll stay retired in Sochi, you know, he'll still be a very important player in Russian politics with his office over doubt. Most of the commuters I speak to, like Yekaterina, claim they'd be happy if Vladimir Putin continues to run the country. He's the best president we've ever had, Yekaterina says. I don't mind eating turnips and grass. Putin is right to spend our money on building up our defences. It is support like this the Kremlin leader will be counting on as he pushes ahead with his plan to change Russia's constitution. That report by the BBC's Steve Rosenberg in Moscow. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Egypt, Ethiopia and Sudan have reached a preliminary agreement aimed at clearing the way for the filling and operation of a $5 billion dam on the Nile River. The dispute has sparked a diplomatic crisis between Egypt and Ethiopia, who both see existential threats in each other's positions on the project. The preliminary deal was struck after talks in Washington, from where Kate Fisher reports. U.S. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and World Bank President David Malpass hosted the foreign ministers and water resources officials of the three countries for three days of talks here in Washington. The discussions centred on developing rules and guidelines that would mitigate drought conditions based on the natural flow of the Nile and water release rates from the dam's reservoir. The project, called the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, is around 70% complete now and it promises to provide much-needed electricity for Ethiopia's more than 100 million people and the country's economic development. But Egyptian officials are concerned that filling the reservoir behind the dam too quickly 
could significantly reduce the amount of Nile water available to Egypt. And that's water on which its population of more than 100 million people is almost entirely dependent. Well, previous rounds of negotiations, and there have been many of them, have failed to reach any compromise. But this week in Washington, officials have agreed that there is a shared responsibility of the three countries in managing drought and prolonged drought. The joint statement didn't give details on how long it would take to fill the dam, saying only that it would occur in stages starting in uh, the 2020 rainy season and potentially continuing until September under certain circumstances. The goal to achieve the early generation of electricity while also protecting Egypt and Sudan in case of severe droughts. Well, the joint statement said that these plans will not become final until the countries agree on all the points in a final operating agreement. Well, that's set to be thrashed out at yet another meeting in Washington later this month. Kate Fisher, Washington. Top structures of South Africa's ruling ANC are meeting this weekend to discuss, among others, the country's state-owned enterprises. It will be the party's National Executive Committee, the National Working Committee, then followed by the ANC Lekhotla early next week. This as the challenges at ESCOM continue to cause panic throughout the country. Board Chairperson Jabumabuza resigned following the power utility's inability to avoid load shedding earlier this month. Abongile Dumako reports. It is going to be a busy weekend for the ruling party. The ANC will see the NEC, NWC, followed by a Lekhotla meet to discuss several issues surrounding SOEs. ESCOM is the first to receive that urgent attention. The power utility's failure to keep the lights on has seen board chairperson Jabumabuza jump ship This after Deputy President David Mabuza told the media while in Kimberley for the ANC 108th celebrations of its birthday that Minister of Public Enterprises Praveen Godan and the ESCOM board have misled the president on load shedding. Pulemabe is the ANC's national spokesperson. This National uh, uh, Working Committee, NEC, and ultimately the Lukhotla, when the NWC will be planning and laying out a program that the NEC will ultimately have to adopt, which now takes us to the Lekhotla. The Lekhotla start on the 19th and the 20th. Key amongst the issues that will be discussed is what we've already written out. Remember when we issued a statement welcoming the resignation of Dade uh, Jabu Mabuza, we also said that uh, the NEC that will be sitting, including the Lekhotla, would have high on the agenda the issue of SOEs to also assess if SOEs are indeed delivering on what they are expected to be doing. Mabe refused to be drawn on whether or not the ANC would like to see the back of Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Godan. But political analyst Luko Namguni believes the ANC is weak and government is failing to make decisive decisions under President Cyril Ramaphosa. He says it's not blown out of proportion to believe that Godan has not done well at public enterprises. This has given rise to beliefs that there's a flexing of muscles, particularly in the presidency between the deputy president Mabuza and the current president Ramaphosa. But I think in the main, it signifies the inability of the president to take decisions. 
which introduces a vacuum and then all sort of opportunistic forces will want to fill up that vacuum. And that's exactly what we are seeing, even with issues such as ESCOM, uh, because the president doesn't want to accept perhaps that the person in charge of the state-owned enterprises in the minister, Pravin Gordon, has not done an excellent job and he needs to review where his challenges have been in the main. The ANC is also scheduled to discuss the issue of the economy and also land reform, which the party says the consultation process is almost finished. I'm Abongile Dumago in Johannesburg. Hulk's boss, Godfrey Libya, will have to wait to find out if he will in fact testify before the state capture inquiry. South Africa's Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo has ordered the Commission's legal team to investigate claims made by Libya against former Police Commissioner Ria Piecha to ensure that they fall within the Commission's terms of reference. Busi Chimombe reports. The state capture inquiry had to adjourn after Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo strongly cautioned the State Capture Commission's legal team to ensure that witness testimony complies with the inquiry's terms of reference. This was at the outset of the testimony of Hawke's boss, Godfrey Libia. In his affidavit to the Commission, he alleged that he had been sidelined in his job as Deputy Police Commissioner by then National Commissioner Ria Piecha on the instructions of former President Jacob Zuma. The way that Dr. Libya was ill-treated, as reflected in the statement, can it be said that it falls within the terms of reference? Was it, was it corruption? Was it fraud? Was it state capture? Or could it be that maybe she just didn't like him for whatever reason, which would be wrong itself? But not everything that is wrong falls within the terms of reference of the Commission. A visibly upset Deputy Chief Justice raged the Commission's legal team over the calls for neglecting to investigate Libya's claims further and ascertain if, indeed, they relate to efforts to capture the state. If somebody in the legal team had applied his or her mind properly on the statement soon after it had arrived, this could have been avoided. Yes, I agree. This could have been avoided. And as it seems now, we are going to lose a day. And we yes, don't have a lot of time. Every hour counts. We need every day. Libya, who never took the stand, claims Piecha ill-treated him because of his investigation into irregularities at crime intelligence and his involvement in the inquest against former crime intelligence boss Richard Mdluli, who was being investigated for his involvement in the death of a lover's partner, amongst others. Mdluli is reported to have sent a letter to Zuma with names, including Libya's, of SAP's generals that he says had hatched a conspiracy against him. To say 
it might be the former president who might have done whatever or might have said to somebody, don't promote so-and-so, sideline him. At this stage, from what I see, he is just a suspicion, uh, nothing more than that. Obviously, we can't decide and make findings on suspicions. But I know you said, Dr. Libya said, he doesn't think that further investigation will change the picture. Uh, maybe he is right. But I would rather have a situation where we have satisfied ourselves that there's been a proper investigation. Counsel for Piecha, Ravindra Manilkal, briefly appeared before Zondo, raising concern about the lack of documentation and details from the Commission's team regarding Libya and Johannes Lochronberg's testimony yesterday that implicates her. Piecha has indicated that she may apply to cross-examine the two or respond in written affidavits. That report by Busi Chimombe in Johannesburg. South Africa's Minister of Public Works, Patricia DeLille, says she is worried about the continued pushback against the ministry's intervention in the northwest province. This is after the administrator deployed in the province to run the department after it was put under administration two years ago, reported death threats against himself and his staff. DeLille was visiting the province to assess the progress made since taking over the running of the Public Works Department. Lucas Mutibedi has more. The Department of Public Works, which was one of the entities in the province, which was affected by alleged rampant corruption through the issuing of irregular tenders and looting. Over 150 irregular contracts issued are under review and have been handed over to the Special Investigative Unit, while others are currently being investigated by the Hawks. The Auditor General flagged irregular expenditure in three successive years in his reports. The head of the department and several senior managers have been placed on suspension. Administrator Samuel Tobakale explains. Well, the impact of, of, of corruption in service delivery is huge. Uh, I can just uh, state one case where 130 million was transferred to a service provider without services being rendered. That's one of the cases that is being investigated. Um, if you look at our financial books, we are sitting with uh, 4.5 billion of irregular expenditure that we have to um, investigate further. The, there were projects um, to the tune of more than 500 million that were mega projects that were started in the province without proper budgeting, without proper planning. Um, and the province lost more than 250 million on that only with designs that were never going to be used. So we had to investigate those and stop those. However, Tobakale says the intervention has not been as smooth as they had hoped. Well, yes. Um, we had an incident in the office where, you know, uh, we were threatened with, uh, with guns and all that. Um, we work very closely with the South African Police Service. Th those are the risks that we have to live with in the work that we do in trying to make it a point that we, uh, we achieve clean government and we take services to our people. Yes, we receive uh, those threats. But Minister Patricia Dilil, who was visiting the province to assess progress made since the intervention by the task team, says they will do everything to ensure that those responsible in the alleged corruption and maladministration are brought to book. They, they will be pushed back because people want to continue to loot and steal, but we have to just bite the bullet and we have to make sure that we continue to clean up government. Well, obviously I'm worried about it. I know that he spent a lot of time here. He's a family man. Uh, he's got a, a clear track record in government and we just have to give him the necessary protection. 
Delil is however optimistic that her intervention in the department will yield results soon as the provision of services remains adversely affected. Lucas Mutibedi, Mahikeng, Northwest. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it. You know, Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, at least 15 civilians have been killed in an overnight attack on a Fulani village in central Mali. More than 90 Ugandan women and girls who were trafficked across the border to Kenya have been rescued and returned home. And members of the U.S. Senate who have taken their oaths as jurors and the impeachment trial against President Donald Trump have been urged to ensure justice is done. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. South Africa's finance minister, Tito Mboweni, has emphasized the importance of the reforms currently underway at the country's power utility, ESCOM, saying government is taking the necessary step to boost investor confidence. He was speaking at a media briefing in Johannesburg ahead of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, next week. Mboweni also took the opportunity to affirm the independence of the Reserve Bank. This after he was lamented by his party for tweeting that the ruling party had made a mistake in its resolution about nationalizing the bank. Naledi Ngobo reports. Mboweni was at pains to explain that the unbundling of ESCOM was not a precursor to privatization, but a step towards opening up competition in the generation side of the business. Mboweni said that while it was true that the country is experiencing severe power challenges, it is wrong to simply say that the country doesn't have electricity. At this juncture, the approach is that the transmission component uh, would remain a single transmission company and not multiple transmission companies. At the point of distribution, we already, in any case, have multiple distributors. So that might increase in number, which is fine. Um, and that is a very important structural reform that we are undertaking. How are we going to respond to uh, people when they say, but you do not have electricity in South Africa? The answer will be that it is not true. Mboweni said that he's prepared to assure potential investors about the independence of the South African Reserve Bank as well as government's intentions to implement economic reforms geared towards boosting the economy. You said they'll ask about the Reserve Bank uh, and I'll tell them that the Reserve Bank uh, is by virtue of the Constitution 
an independent central bank of the republic that pursues its objectives independently without fear or favor. So we'll, we'll, we'll tell them all of that. But we'll be honest to say the pace of the structural reforms is not the way we'd want it to be. So we need to speed up the reforms. Trade and Industry Minister Ibrahim Patel said that the publication of the Integrated Resource Plan, the finalization of the ICT policy and measures taken to improve the ease of doing business are some of the latest confidence-boosting reforms taken by government. But we can say that a year ago we talked about improving the ease of doing business through a simple thing like the speed with which it takes to register a company. What have we done subsequently? Well, subsequently, we've uh, launched something called the Biz Portal. It's in uh, the pilot phase now, and it's a single portal where you go and you want to register a company and you can access the CIPC, so tick that box. You can get your BEE certification out of that. And I can take other examples on Spectrum. While the process is not completed, the, the, first, the policymaker has published the new policy framework. The regulator has uh, set out the roadmap. Bowen is expected to lead the South African business and government delegation attending the World Economic Forum, which is set to take place from the 21st to the 24th of January in Davos, Switzerland. I'm Naledin Ngobo in Johannesburg. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has vowed to ensure that South Africans have access to the highest quality education and training with improved learning outcomes within the next decade. Ramaphosa was speaking at the basic education sector Le Khotla, which ends in Kempton Park east of Johannesburg today. The three-day meeting brought together education authorities, teacher unions, student organizations and academics. Ndebo Mukobo filed this report. The basic education sector Lekotla is taking place under the theme Equipping Learners with Knowledge and Skills for a Changing World. This three-day gathering is called to discuss ways to equip learners with the necessary skills to navigate, among others, the world of artificial intelligence as required by the country's blueprint, the National Development Plan. And President Cyril Ramaphosa says the meeting will help the country achieve some of the objectives of the NDP. We are meeting here to carve a new path of progress for our basic education sector in the last decade of our national development plan. We want to ensure that by 2030, South Africans have access to education and training of the highest quality, leading to significantly improved learning outcomes. The performance of South African learners in international standardized tests should be comparable to the performance of learners from countries at a similar level of development. All our learners should be able to read for meaning by their 10th birthday. President Ramaphosa also committed to ensure a schooling environment that is conducive for learners to achieve excellence. We do need to get back to work and continuously improve the learning environment and ensure that it becomes even more conducive for our children to achieve excellence. We need to intensify our efforts to ensure that all our schools have appropriate infrastructure as well as basic things such as sanitation, water and electricity supply. We must ensure that the mud schools of yesteryear are forever banished to the dustbin of our history and that all our children 
go to the toilet in safe and hygienic conditions. He also encouraged South Africans and learners in particular to become a reading nation, insisting he will soon launch the presidential reading circle. The main thrust of our plan is to ensure reading for meaning across the curriculum in all grades and in all schools throughout the country. Our plan is to ensure that we teach all learners to read well. As society, we need to socialize our learners and the young people into becoming lifelong readers. As citizen myself, I will be launching the President's Reading Circle, which is a virtual book club which will allow readers to share their views on the books with me. We will have this event once a year where we allow people to share what they are reading. Meanwhile, the Basic Education Department spokesperson Elijah Mklanga says their job has been cut out. We want to strengthen our reading revolution. We need to make sure that everybody reads. I mean, the president spent quite an amount of time talking about the importance of reading, the Read to Lead campaign, the Reading Coalition. All of those are designed to improve our numeracy and literacy skills because whatever that you learn, you will read it and you'll write it. So you need to make sure that as a child, you have those skills, but also as a parent, you understand the basics in terms of numeracy and literacy. We need to read a lot. If you look at what is happening in other countries, people are reading. That's why they are far ahead of us, because they are reading everything and developing as a result. We need to do that for our own country. The basic education sector, Lekota, will end on Friday with resolutions aimed at improving the country's education sector. I am Debu Mokobo in Johannesburg. Chinese ambassador to Zimbabwe, Guo Xiaochun, says bilateral relations between Zimbabwe and China are solid, as highlighted by the willpower to stand by each other on international platforms. Xiaochun said this on Thursday while addressing guests during the Chinese New Year reception. A Chinese embassy in Harare hosted the ceremony to commemorate their New Year that is coming on the 25th of January, according to the lunar calendar. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. That was the Chinese national anthem done in the Zimbabwean capital Harare to mark the 2020 New Year. Chinese in Zimbabwe celebrated their New Year a week earlier to accommodate those traveling back home to be with family and friends on the 25th of January. While people across the whole world celebrate their New Year on the very day, Chinese have a month long full of traditional events that are religiously followed. However, what is very important is the first meal of the lunar year which symbolizes unity. During the commemorations in Harare, the Chinese ambassador to Zimbabwe, Huo Xiaochung, said 2020 will be celebrated with the symbol of the red. According to the Chinese zodiac, we are bidding farewell to the ear of pig and ushering in the ear of the mouse. In our culture, these two animals each stand for sturdiness and intelligence, and I find it a fitting description of the passing year and the one to come. In 2019, the People's Republic of China celebrated its 70th anniversary when a number of challenges brought about uncertainties at home and abroad. In a show of sturdiness, China made steady progress in its own development and helped to keep the world in the right direction. 
amidst a multitude of global economic and growth disruptors, China maintained its commitment to reform and openness and continue to lead global growth. The Chinese 2020 New Year is being celebrated at a time when the global order is unsettled owing to the war between the United States of America and Iran. Unilateralism is the new order, a political strategy that undermines global unity, the Chinese ambassador said. In 2019, the global order was reeling under the pressure of unilateralism, protectionism, and power politics. China sent out a clear and firm message. All countries are in a community with a shared future. We must consult and work with another supports the international multilateral system and pool our strengths in order to tackle the common challenges and embrace a brighter future. Ambassador Xiaochung took time to commend the cooperation between China and Zimbabwe, which has yielded great results. While Zimbabwe celebrates its 40th independence anniversary this year, China will also be commemorating the 40th anniversary of the China-Zimbabwe friendship. The year 2020 will be a milestone in the China's history. One of the two century goals of the nation to create a moderately well-off society. That's Chinese ambassador to Zimbabwe, Guo Xiaochung, speaking to Simon Muchema in Harare. It's 7.45 and our economics update up next with Tracy Bumgard. Thank you, Lulu. Economists say South Africa still faces the risk of a rating downgrade by Moody's, even though the Reserve Bank's Monetary Policy Committee has cut the repo rate by 25 basis points. The move will reduce the prime lending rate from 10% to 9.75%. Senior economist at Nedbank, Nikki Wemmer, says the move will not do much to boost the economy. The general consensus out there, no matter which dealer you speak to, will tell you that it's largely priced in. And if you look at South Africa's long bonds, um, our yield curve has steepened quite significantly, given that our inflation um, outlook is actually improving. So that already reflects that sovereign risk, uh, you know, premium that's increased. So the fiscal risk spills over in our sovereign risk premium, and you can see that our long bonds are trading above countries that Moody's rate. The market is already acting as if we are going to junk status. Trade union Solidarity has asked for a moratorium on retrenchments at Telcom South Africa. The telecoms giant has notified unions that up to 3,000 workers could lose their jobs as it struggles with declining performance in fixed voice and data services. Telcom says the job cuts will affect its wholesale division open serve consumer unit as well as its corporate center. In a letter to unions, Telcom says the planned job cuts will be managed in phases, with phase one starting now until April. Solidarity strategic specialist Monet Malan. There are times when retrenchments are necessary, and that is when the sustainability of a company is being threatened. Now, on the other hand, we believe that these particular retrenchments, when they are unwarranted retrenchments, that threatens the very sustainability which they promise to protect. Our moratorium 
It's basically just our way of saying, wait, before we go on to retrenchments, let's see if we can't find a more beneficial agreement which can be beneficial to both parties, something where the employees as well as the employer can agree upon. The United States says sanctions against Zimbabwe will remain until reforms are implemented. U.S. Ambassador to Zimbabwe Brian Nichols told the country's acting president, Constantino Chiwenga, to satisfy the conditions laid out in the Zimbabwe Democracy and Economic Recovery Act. The act covers economic restrictions on 141 entities and persons. The U.S. says it will give Zimbabwe the support it needs to address the effects of drought on the country's people. In 2019, the U.S. gave over 370 million U.S. dollars to Zimbabwe and another 110 million to mitigate the drought and effects of Cyclone Idai. U.S. technology firm Microsoft has announced plans to remove all the carbon dioxide it has emitted into the atmosphere since it was founded in 1975 by the year 2050. It also says it will become carbon negative in the next 10 years, which would mean removing more carbon dioxide than it produces. Microsoft President Brad Smith says if extreme measures are not urgently taken to combat climate change, temperatures will continue to climb and the result will be catastrophic. When making the announcement, he outlined measures being implemented to develop the technology to attain the company's pledge. We're announcing the launch of a $1 billion climate innovation fund. One of the things we'll do is invest to help stimulate more innovation in that sector so that there will exist the technology that we can use, that the world can use to remove carbon from the atmosphere. The African Development Bank has given Guinea, Liberia, Niger, Mali, Madagascar, South Sudan, Sierra Leone and Zimbabwe a grant to improve their mining revenues through training. The first of its kind project will be implemented from 2020 to 2022. The project will train policymakers responsible for the extractive sector. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati.
First up in our sports update, it's Cricket News. Proteus Bowling Consultant Charles Langeveld believes that their hard work paid off during the first day of the third test against England at St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth, South Africa's Eastern Cape Province yesterday. The Proteus restricted England to less than two and a half runs and over for the better part of the day. And Langeveld alludes that they also decided to go with an extra seam bowler in Dane Peterson. The Proteus restricted England to 224 for four in 90 overs at the Stumps. It's hard work. I think we, we, we stuck to our game plan, trying to keep him under two and a half for long periods of time. Um, try to bowl straight to line. So I think what, what we wanted to achieve, we achieved today. It was hard work. Hard, it's one of those wickets, it's hard to get wickets. Uh, I think we generally just stayed patient. Well, if you look at the surface, it doesn't suit Vern that much. It's a slow, the surface is quite slow, so off the wicket, Batsman can adjust, um, so we just, we went uh, with the extra seam, or we had Pato, which is a bit quicker. And you know, Vern is great with the new ball, but as we we found out in in previous, well, just on these conditions, we just went okay. We'll, we'll use him sparingly. Langefeld has revealed that they planned their match round England opening batsman Dominic Sibley, who ended up scoring 38 runs after facing 95 deliveries before he was bowled out by Cajiso Ravada. I think with Sibley, we spoke long and hard about Sibley and Cape Town. He did play at shot on the, he did play in the air a lot and it was just a, a conscious plan we had to get him out because we just felt he, he worked out the plan in Cape Town and he counted us. He walked into a, a bowler's line and he played well, a few shots went in the air and we thought, well, on the slowest wicket, it might be opportunity. I think the second wicket with uh, Crawley was just faff winning with instinct. Her national development manager for South African Gymnastics Federation, Mati Heri, says they are relying on Saskok for Olympic qualification. On the other disciplines, uh, it's very difficult in the Olympic disciplines to even qualify to the Olympic Games, especially now that the International Gymnastics Federation actually takes a new look at, uh, you have to qualify through African Championships. So we're relying very much on SESCOC's uh, requirements. As, uh, if they're not supporting us to go to African Champs, that means we won't be able to qualify to World Champs or to inter uh, Olympic Games. We have four Olympic disciplines, artistic women, artistic men on the traditional apparatus. Then we also have trampoline sport and um, rhythmic gymnastics, which is a female sport. That is Olympic. Over and above, we have acrobatics, tumbling, rope skipping, aerobics and gym for all. And these are the disciplines that are non-Olympic uh, sports. But interestingly enough, those are the disciplines that we can actually do better on international level, like our acrobatics and trampoline. Trampoline sport is very successful. Two years ago, we had the first female world champion in tumbling sport. Finally, golf news. Italy's Renato Paratori and South Africa's Sean Norris carried identical opening round scores of 8 under 64 on Thursday to share the lead at the Abu Dhabi Championship, while number one, Brooks Kubka, was tied third on his return from injury. The 23 year old Paratori, chasing the second title on the European Tour, sank nine birdies with gains in the final four holes before Norris, too, finished the round strongly. 
four-time major champion Kupka, who has not played since slipping on concrete in the PGA Tour CJ Cup in South Korea in October and injuring his left knee, shot a bogey free 66 to sit alongside Australian Jason Shrevner. Spaniards Rafa Cabrero-Bello and Sergio Garcia were in a group of players tied for fifth while holder Shane Lowry was further back after an opening round of 70. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. U.S. President Donald Trump impeachment trial gets underway. And Egypt, Ethiopia and Sudan reach a deal on the construction of the Nile Dam. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week from myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadza and Tutu technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Our taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Mpo Sabina with a song titled Lerato. Thank you.